together you promise to be in our midst lord god father wherever we go there you are with us if i make my bed in the heights of the mountains or the depths of the sea if i made my bed in the grave even there you are with me god we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear god as we just want to Spend some time in your word, Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that it would be fruitful time. God, time that you would use to prepare our heart. Time that you would use to sanctify your church. Time that you would use to build us up. Lord, we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 38. Oh, what book? Isaiah. Good girl. (laughs) Okay. I am now. All right. Jeremiah chapter 39 is, I don't know what you'd call it, the low point for Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 39 is the day all the things God said was going to happen, happen. It's kind of like uh, for 2,000 years, people have been talking about the return of Christ. Word declares that he's going to come back, that he'll set up his kingdom. And when he does, the time of judgment will come with him. And Peter said, in the last days, scoffers will come. And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers went to sleep, all things continue the same until now. But Peter says, but the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering, desiring that no one would perish. Whenever we come to chapters like chapter 39, my encouragement to you would be, before you read it and before you listen to the judgment that came, you need to hear the heart cry that went out first. You know, the one that said, turn, come back to me, get off that road, there's no bridge, if you keep going, you're going off the edge. For time infinitum, God's people have been bringing at one time or another the, the promise, two promises, one primary promise of salvation, God is able to save and willing to save to the uttermost. The, the great old dead guys who used to preach used to say God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. He's able to take us from anywhere we are and bring us. And that's God's desire. That's what Peter said. Peter said he's, he's not slack concerning his promise, but long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But a lot of people will read the sections that deal with God's judgment and they'll forget about the 400 years of God reaching out with mercy before. Forget those things. In Jeremiah chapter 39, you don't have to look back very far. Just one chapter. So as we start, as we begin, let's be reminded about what God said to Zedekiah the king. In, in chapter 38, just to your left a little bit, it says, And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, and they'll deliver me into their hand, and they'll abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They will not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord I speak to you, so it will be well with you, and your soul will live. It always blows me away to see... <laughs> creator of the universe begging men to change but really no different than what we talked about this morning when we talked about the prodigal son and we talked about how the father ran out to the younger son right and he and he put on the robe of righteousness and the ring and he was there he went to him and the same way with the elder son the elder brother he's outside he won't enter into the feast but who went to him the the father went out to him too and what does he do? He pleads with him. Come in. Come in and be a part. Come in and, and join in the, the beauty of the feast. It's, God's not pushing anybody out. He's asking them to come. So he laid out for Zedekiah. Just listen to what God said. Listen. All God wanted Zedekiah to do was surrender. Look at verse 21. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word of the Lord he has shown me. All the women who are left in the king of Judah's house will be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women will say, Your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet are sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and your children to the Chaldeans, and you will not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause the city to be burned with fire. Zedekiah, give up, and it will be well with you. Continue to fight, and you're going to lose it all. 
Well, Jesus said it like this. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. The idea of being that simple call of God to surrender ourselves, to surrender our rights, to surrender our desires, to surrender our dreams. Not that we can never pick those things up again, but that we bring all those things, captivity in Christ. We bring it all to Him. It's for Him. I give everything I am to the Lord because of what He did for me. Because of of what He's given for me. Because when nobody in this room would have given me a plum nickel, nobody, you knew me back then, you would not have even given me a sideways glance. But Jesus met me in the gutter. He was there. All the way to the pigsty. Rolling around in the mud. And he said, I'll die for you. I'll give you a way back. When somebody loves you like that, how do you not respond in kind? How do you not respond with love to Him? And, and that idea, that concept of loving Him simply means whatever dreams I had were dreams He gave me in the first place. So I bring them into Christ. And, and it's in Him they'll find their fulfillment. Listen, we, every one of us, you, me, every human being on this earth is an exile. Every single one of the human beings on earth is looking for something they can't find. And nothing satisfies. The Bible says that man was created for the garden. In case you haven't looked around, this is not it. From the time of Adam and Eve, man has been exiled from the garden. And ever since, he's tried to make his home here. Remember what Abraham said? He searched for a city that had foundations, whose maker and builder is God, a place that was lasting and real. But nothing here satisfied. That's why when he and Lot talked about which way they should go, when they're dividing their, their, their uh, herds, Abraham said to Lot, you pick first. Why could he say that? Because Abraham knew it didn't matter where he went. This place is not my home. Whether I only get the desert or whether I get the best fertile ground, doesn't matter. This isn't it. We are all exiles who long for home. And we search for that home two ways, right? Either an outward expression of gratifying our flesh or an inward expression of satisfying self. One can look better on the outside than the other. But both are miles from God. We're all exiles. And to every one of us, God says what he said to Zedekiah. Surrender. What are you fighting for? What is it you hope to gain? Is there that much pleasure in hearing this phrase? You were right. I was wrong. Does that make all the pain of hurts go away? Does that change any of the things that have ever been done to you? Uh -uh. Won't make any difference. None of that makes any difference. 
It's that desire within us to, to own gratification, to own something that I can make someone else do for me or, or someone give for me or be for me. And the bottom line is all those things are efforts to try to lay hold of something I can't have. The garden's not here. And you're never going to find it apart from Christ. When Jesus returns, the beauty of Isaiah chapter 25 and other places in Scripture is simply the idea that when Jesus comes, a garden comes with him. He makes a, what? a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem for, for his bride to dwell in. It's our home. No matter how we look for it here, no matter what we look for it in, we will not find home apart from Christ. He says, you are strangers in a strange land, pilgrims, until the time we see him face to face. We are exiles. The question to Zedekiah and the question to you and I, will you surrender? I love how many times I go through the Bible and God gives us two choices. When you see the giving of the law, the Lord lined up the priests on Mount Gilboa and, and another mountain. You remember the other mountain, John? Uh, me neither. There's another mountain. It, maybe it'll come to me. And they line up on these two mountains in a great valley in between them. The children of Israel are down there. Priests on this mount. Priests on this mount. On one side they shout the blessings, and the other side they shout the cursings. The idea is if you follow the Lord, here is the path of blessing. If you don't follow the Lord, here is the path of destruction. I have set before you, the Lord said, life and death. Life and death. But it's funny how we can even twist that up. People actually began to believe they had the ability. To bring God into their debt by performing the law. I've kept it. Till my youth. Remember the young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him? Not what we talked about today, but he asked him a similar thing. What's, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know what it says in the scriptures. Obey the commandments. And he says, I've done these since my youth. Is that not crazy? Man, I, I have not done those since my... I know those. I haven't done them. You've always honored your mother and father. You never told a lie. You always put God first. Man, we don't always keep them. We don't always keep them. The whole call of the law is to tell us we need to surrender to God. To a God who will do it for me. Who puts that robe upon me, not because I earned righteousness, but because he did. And he gave it to me. Zedekiah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Zedekiah? Same thing too many people do. I got more time. Jeremiah, go back to the prison. It'll be all right. The siege began. In the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the siege is going to come to an end. Before we read the things that take place here in, in chapter 39, just hold your finger here and turn to the right a few pages. The very next book is a book called Lamentations. Lamentations is the things Jeremiah writes as he walks around in the midst of Jerusalem after the city has fallen. 
and the promises of God have come true. Judgment came. Here's what he says in Lamentations chapter 4. How the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. For the stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. Picture Jeremiah walking through Jerusalem. This is the, the Solomon's temple destroyed. The best temple, the greatest temple. The temple that was built by Herod couldn't even begin to be compared to Solomon's temple. The beauty, the gold. It's said that Solomon's temple glowed like a star when people would come over the Mount of Olives and see the temple. They'd be blown away at the majesty and the beauty of the temple. But Jeremiah says, where's all that fine gold now? It's lost as glitter. And every stone is lying in the street. The precious sons of Zion... As valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Well, even the jackals present their breasts and nurse their youngs, but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. For the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of his mouth for thirst, and the young children ask for bread, but no one brings it to them. This is Jeremiah. It's what he sees as he walks through the streets. After the siege, after the judgment came. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. But her Nazarites were brighter than snow whiter than milk they were more ruddy in body than rubies like sapphire in their appearance but now their appearance is blacker than soot they go unrecognized in the streets their skin clings to their bones it has become as dry as wood those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger for these pine away stricken for lack of the fruits of the field the people he sees. He's remembering all oh, the Nazarites. Remember the Nazarites, right? Those who make a vow to the Lord. They'd shave off all their hair. They'd, they'd have a fresh start. They'd put on new clothes. And, and as their hair grew back, the promise was, it's a new life, a new life I'm living for you. And he says, man, remember the Nazarites and, and, and how beautiful it was to see their promises to God. And as they walked through the streets and they committing themselves to the Lord, but now the, you can't even recognize those guys. Because they're covered with soot. The whole city's burned. And they've been starving for so long, the skin is clinging to their bones. And they're dying in front of his eyes. He says it's better to have died by the sword. But he goes on to say, The hands of the compassionate woman has cooked her own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Think she ever thought she would do that? It amazes me how often we can be filled with the pride of the things I would never do. 
I would never. Yeah. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And no one can know it save God by his spirit. He knows the heart. And he's able to give you a new heart. We pretty up the outside and we make ourselves look good and everything's good, right? I mean, hey, we look good. But you know, you find yourself in this place, in this situation, no food. And your little baby just starved to death and died. And mama, the compassionate mother who loved her child, not some some psycho mom who didn't care about her kids. The mom, the compassionate mom who loved her children, put them in a pot and cooked them. Because that's what's in the heart of men. The compassionate woman. The judgment of God falls. Look at the destruction that's throughout the city. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He's poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion. And it has devoured the foundations. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquity of her priests who, who shed in her midst the blood of the just. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquity of her priests. Hey, God didn't bring the destruction upon a nation because the people who were lost stayed lost. He, he brought destruction because the people who should have known continued in rebellion against him, the prophets. It doesn't say the false prophets. It says the prophets. It doesn't say the false priests. Says the priests, their iniquity, they slay the just. (laughs) Actually, they got tired of offering sacrifices to the Lord, so they offered their children instead. They wandered blind in the street. And have defiled themselves with blood. So that no one would touch their garments. And they cried out to them. Go away unclean. Go away. Don't touch us. When they fled and wandered. Those among the nations said. They shall no longer dwell here. For the face of the Lord has scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests. Nor show favor to the elders. Still our eyes fail us. Watching vainly for our help. In our watching we watch for a nation that could not save us. So they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end is near. Our days are over. Our end has come. As Jeremiah writes Lamentations 4, it's all about Jeremiah 39. Judgment has come. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day, the city was penetrated. Two-year siege. All food cut off. 
Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. Nergal, Sherezer, Samgar, Nebo, Tarshechem, Ribsaris, Nargal, Sarazer, Rabmag, and the rest of the princes of the king of Babylon. So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, they fled and went out of the city by night by way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls, and he went out by way of the plain. You remember what it said in 38? So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans, and you will not escape if you don't surrender. still true if we don't surrender to God we will not escape judgment and judgment will be righteous and true it will be what we deserve for who we are compared to a holy God we are (laughs) wretches but God wants us to live So he holds in one hand salvation. Here, just take it, surrender. Or we can demand our rights and perish. Zedekiah runs away, but the Chaldean army pursued him, overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in Riblah, in that land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. And the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, in Riblah. The king of Babylon killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Wonder how long during that time Zedekiah heard God plead, Please, Zedekiah, give up. Give up, and the whole city lives. Give up and it will be well with you. Surrender and your family will live. Surrender. But he clung to his rights. I'm the king. I don't have to do anything anybody says. I'm the master of my own destiny. No one has claim over my destiny and my choices. I will do what I want to do. I'll make the choices I want to make. Amen. So be it. Make your choices. But don't forget the word of the Lord. Surrender and live. Fight and die. The last thing Zedekiah saw on earth was every one of his children killed. Did not have to be that way. But our choices have consequences, don't they? The decisions we make, they, they carry ramifications. The choices we make. That's why the scripture tells us that in all our ways acknowledge Him. Go before the Lord. God, guide me that I make a good choice. Because I don't know whether I go out the, the driveway of the church if I should turn left or right. But God does. He knows my every step. And he, and he wants to show me. The will of God is not some carrot he dangles out in front of us and says, you can't really know this. 
He wants you to see it. He wants you to know it, but to know it, you must surrender. You have to lay down your arms and stop the battle. You have to recognize that when, my, when I surrender, I am wholly His. Lock, stock, and barrel. That means He can do anything He wants with me. Now, we had a problem with that. What if He wants to do hard things? What if the road laid out before us is a difficult road? Bible says he'll give you the grace you need to endure the strength you need to overcome he'll give you everything you need to be his hands and feet but it requires a surrender of my will just like Jesus showed us in Gatshmone Gethsemane if there be any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Every one of us is going to come to our gachmone. Every one of us. Every one of us is going to come to that time in our life where we have to say the words, Nevertheless, it's not about me, God. It's all about you. There's so much beauty in that place of surrender. There's so much peace. Understanding the events of my life are orchestrated in the hands of a God who loves me eternally and says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Doesn't promise us a, a rose garden, does he? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution means life is going to be hard with them or without them without them you sit in the seat of 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 savior with him he does surrender zedekiah the last thing he saw on earth is the death of all his children didn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be that way But Jesus said, if any of you would come after me, he must deny himself. Then, take up his cross. Well, those are pretty little things we wear around our neck, right? We put in our ears. Cross is a method of utter destruction. Seems an odd thing for the Savior of the world to ask you to pick up, isn't it? But I must decrease and he must increase. I must put to death my flesh every day. My flesh doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. I'm just like Jacob. I'm a man with two natures. Remember Jacob, right? His name meant manipulator. His whole life he was a manipulator, ripped people off, did whatever he needed to do to get by. But one day he came face to face with God and God gave him a new nature and a new name. You remember the new name? Israel. Governed by God. Prince of God. Wow. The manipulator became a prince of God. And you look through the life of Jacob and you know what you discover? 
There's times God calls him, hey, Jacob. And there's times God says, hey, Israel. Because sometimes we are allowing the flesh to control and sometimes we allow the spirit to control. Do we have to decide who's going to rule? Who's going to reign? On any given day, it may, we may go from Jacob to Israel three or four different times. That's okay. It's okay because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there? None. Hmm, interesting. Because the grace that God bestows upon those who surrender is all-encompassing. It's everything we need. Zedekiah, why didn't you listen? All those people who died in the streets that Jeremiah walks by, they could have lived. All the heartache and the pain didn't have to be if he would have surrendered, if only he would have given himself over. It says in verse 8, The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire, broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city, those who defected to him and the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, the, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor, those who had nothing. And he gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him, and do him no harm. But do to him just as he says to you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar, Reb Saras, Nergal, Sherazar, Reb Mag, and all the king of Babylon's chief officers. And they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. It's interesting. God still took care of Jeremiah. I read about Jeremiah and I, Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, take care of Jeremiah. Makes me wonder. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar is no stranger to the prophets. At about this time, he has a right-hand man. You know his name? You do. His name's Daniel. Running around at the time of Daniel, while Daniel's there in the king's palace with Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately going to lead him to a relationship with the Lord. There's another guy in the streets of Babylon. His name's Ezekiel. And back in Jerusalem is Jeremiah. No stranger to the prophets. He says, find Jeremiah. Take care of him. Take care of him. Make sure he's watched after. Make sure he's taken care of. Make sure everything's going to be okay with him. And we'll see that for the most part, that's how it happens. But it doesn't stop from breaking Jeremiah's heart. They call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Because of chapter 39. Because nobody listened. Because no matter how many times he said, surrender to the Lord, they wouldn't do it. And judgment came. 
Jeremiah, he happened a long time ago. And his story is over. His time is done. But Jesus came and the last thing he said to the church was, Go therefore, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He called us to continue the message of Jeremiah. Surrender. Repent. Follow the Lord in obedience and baptism. Walk with Him. Surrender and live forever in glory that you can't imagine or cling to your own rights. Seek to save your own life and watch it like water slip through your fingers. I often wonder if Jeremiah could walk the streets of our city today, what he would think. I wonder if the burden, they say, for the lost that he had, I wonder if he sees it on us. People talk about missions. You know, I love missions. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm pretty stoked about the guy who's going to come share about his mission in Sudan next week. And we got no business talking about missions if we can't cross the street. If we can't talk to our neighbor. The message of Jeremiah still exists today. Listen, judgment is coming. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. And whatever we read about in Jeremiah will pale in comparison to what will happen to those who don't believe, who don't receive. Well, how can they know if we don't tell them? How can we tell them if we're not sent? We get wrapped up in a lot of things in life. Me too. I like stuff. But only one thing really matters. I remember I used to think evangelism was a hard thing. And, you know, gosh, we probably need to lead someone to the Lord every week to make a real difference. That's not true. If every person in the church led one person a year to the Lord, the world would be changed in no time. That's not too much of a job, is it? One person a year? I guess my prayer tonight, we close out in a time of prayer, that the burden of Jeremiah, hope our life isn't full of weeping and sorrow. But I do hope our life is filled with that burden. Even as Jeremiah pleaded with Zedekiah, listen, it's our job to tell that's all to tell it's God's job to save it's just our job to tell cross the street that neighbor we talk to every week 
We can talk to them about the Lord. Invite them to church. Tell them Jesus loves them. So as we pray tonight, as we close out, I just invite you. The Lord lays a prayer in your heart. I invite you to pray with us. God gives you a word. I invite you to share it, verse, whatever. As we just focus on a time with him, when we're done, we'll stop. And if you got to go between now and then, it's okay. No big deal. We just invite you to hang out with us and have some time before the Lord. Quiet time in his presence. And see how God will charge us as we go from this place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Thank you for an opportunity to hear the call, Lord God, to go. Father, I just pray, Lord, that our hearts would just be penetrated with a desire to see elder brothers and younger brothers.